Welcome to the Circular Innovation Podcast. Join us as we dive deep and explore the concept of circular innovation and how it's reshaping brands, technology, and operations. Welcome to the Circular Innovation Podcast. I'm your co-host, Richard Bliss, joined by my co-hosts. Jessica Schistler, co-founder and CEO of Maven Circular. And Nate Schistler, co-founder and chief Maven at Maven Circular. For those of you who've been listening, we've had a great conversation over the last, this will be our 10th episode on this limited series, Talk Circular Innovation. And one of the things we're going to talk about today is uh, rather interesting, particularly for me, uh, as we t- talked about it beforehand, and that is the idea of innovative technologies that are shaping the future of circular economy. And so what we're going to talk about is kind of these, I think you identified as three stages, three uh, phases that the uh, whole circular innovation industry has been going through. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. We, um, you know, this is really us like kind of taking a step back and, you know, being an observer of the space and, uh, obviously working with a lot of companies that are in this industry, but also just kind of looking at it from a, you know, macro perspective. So you kind of have to go, you know, we see re-commerce evolving to your point, Richard, in like three phases. We think we're, we're kind of just coming out of uh, what we call re-commerce 1.0, and we'll talk about like what that means. Um, and and then there's like a future state re-commerce 3.0, where you know this is where we see the industry wanting to go, but there's some challenges on the um, you know the consumer side to to really uh, embrace that that type of operating model. But if you go back in time about six years, um, you know look up someone named Andy Rubin. He had a company called Yurtle. Uh, which was kind of like the first iteration of of peer to peer e-commerce, and and the premise there was basically that um, consumers had things in their closet that they wanted to get rid of, and they wanted a more convenient way of doing that. And so what Andy created back then was this company called Yurtle, where I, as a consumer, could say, "Hey, I have this uh, North Face puffer jacket." And I don't want it anymore and I want to sell it to someone else and I put it on a marketplace and someone else can buy it directly from me. And and this of course sounds very familiar, um, you know, because he's competing with the likes of eBay and Craigslist and other, you know, peer-to-peer marketplaces. It had its own set of challenges, um, you know, in trying to differentiate himself from that. And so that's when he had the idea to pivot the business to uh what it is today, which is Trovery Commerce, which which builds and operates um You've heard us use the term brand certified uh, re-commerce programs. And what that really means is that instead of as a consumer buying used, instead of having to go to a third-party marketplace and buy something from another person with really like no guarantees of its quality or condition, I'm now going to a website that is um, managed and supported by the brand. And when I'm buying that used product, I'm kind of buying the brand equity that comes along with it. And so there's a trust factor between the consumer and that brand so that when I buy that thing used, the brand is, you know, assuring me of its quality and condition and they've inspected it and certified its authenticity. And there's no risk of it, you know, being fraudulent, which of course is a a real problem with a lot of luxury and and top end retailers. And and so that's that's really like the first iteration of brand certified re-commerce. The challenge with that is that it kind of exists in conflict with the idea of sustainability and 
uh, the reduction of carbon emissions because Trove and, and other companies like Trove, um, they're all startups, even still today. They all exist, you know, predominantly either on the West Coast or the East Coast. And so there's this logistics problem with, you know, that re-commerce 1.0 model where as a brand, if I have returns that I want to funnel into a brand certified re-commerce program and I want to have a re-commerce provider run that program for, for me, I then have to ship those products to the East Coast or the West Coast where they are then handled again and they're warehoused again and then fulfilled again back out to the new consumer um, after, you know, a significant transportation time across the country and the resulting lag time and the additional handling and additional carbon emissions and frankly, additional cost. Which is really a bit of a challenge in terms of like, is it really saving money and is it really helping yep. our planet? Yeah. And interestingly enough, from a uh, the timing is, I guess, quite fortuitous here. Last week, there was a an article published on the Business of Fashion um, website that was co-written by by Trove and another organization, and they were talking about how uh, re-commerce programs, basically kind of like the bottom line is that un unless your re-commerce program represents 25% of your revenue, it's not actually <laughs> improving your, uh, your carbon and sustainability reduction goals, which it is, when you think about that, that's... Yeah, which is really like, because you're shipping it from so the brand, sense. yeah, from the brand to the re-commerce, business that you're working with and then that goes you know to the third consumer or second consumer so that's really where the conflict is is being risen well let me let me just ask this because this scenario you're describing this 1.0 level that we've been at um to even get here right there had to be some kind of willingness in the be beginning of both culturally mm -hmm. and fiscally did I say that right? Whatever. Yep. That the people <laughs> yeah. were comfortable that people were comfortable with this idea of buying used goods from the web. I mean, I'm right. I got a yep. goodwill and a Salvation Army down the street, although we're not thinking of quality goods there. And then I can go out to eBay if I'm looking for something unique. So there had to be some kind of shift first in the mindset of the consumer and the market and the and the brand itself, right? There had to be some shift. And then what you're saying is that this trove model, this idea kind of came up saying, hey, we can solve that. But it right. it wasn't exactly efficient and it didn't solve the bigger, right. bigger challenges. Is that right? It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a step in the right direction. And we're, of course, supporting many brands in this model. Um, but it is a 1.0 of re-commerce through a branded experience. And and yeah, I think it, we've it, pointed out in some previous episodes, there are some vendors who are doing, this is working, right? It's great. Yeah. It's yeah. profitable. Um, you know, there's the brand loyalty. So, you know, folks are buying again and again on the used website and they're also still buying from the new website. Um, you know, they might want that color of jacket from 2020, but, you know, they they still want this year's snow pants or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, so they're, they're definitely very successful businesses that are out there right now. Um, you know, that's kind of where we got to now as a e-commerce industry is, this is what's working. Um, the next phase of e-commerce is really what's in conversation and contracts right now for you know a couple different businesses. And Nate, I'll share. You know, maybe you can share a bit of that um, with your experience in some of those conversations. Yeah, I mean, 
So one of our clients, um, we're particularly proud of, of the work we've been doing with them over almost the last two years now is, uh, is Arrive Recommerce out of Los Angeles. And what Arrive has built is, so we take a step back real quick, you know, Andy's thesis and founding Trove was that there is existing demand to buy used and the market is already there via Facebook marketplace and Craigslist and eBay, but really Facebook marketplace these days is kind of like the leader for, for peer-to-peer sales. His thesis was the demand is already there. Let's have the, the brand take control of that demand and sell that product through a controlled experience. Got it. That's e-commerce 1.0. Totally makes sense. There's this, is existing demand for it. There's just this logistics cost of moving the product around. Arrive's thesis is that let's service this product wherever it already exists. So instead of having to transport it again from your returns processing facility to another facility to then be fulfilled again out to, you know, owner number two, let's build a technology stack that allows that product to be serviced where it already exists and not require that extra move to a West Coast or a East Coast distribution center. And so the way they've done that is twofold. They've built a storefront that is designed from the ground up to easily integrate with the top enterprise WMS solutions out there. So if you're a 3PL or a brand and you have, you're running Manhattan in your facility, for example, you can very easily integrate with their storefront and use your existing operations and your existing uh, warehouse management system to uh, run your e-commerce channel, which is like incredible. Huge unlock. Huge unlock for brands and 3PLs. And then if you're a brand hang or if- Hang on, let's be, let's, let's yeah. be clear why it's such a huge unlock. Clarif- yeah. is it Huge unlock because if you're processing a return and that return can't, uh, be sold as new in the old model, the e-commerce 1.0 model, you would have to accumulate those non-new returns, ship them once a week to San Francisco. Then there's another delay because they have to be re-ingested into that company's warehouse management system and then merchandise up on a storefront. And that, that delay could be two to three weeks. And the, re- the resulting like transportation cost, and also, by the way, now your product is located in a geographically unfavorable location, you know, unless you're only serving West Coast ghosts, West Coast uh, guests, you really want your DC to be, you know, centrally located in the US. And so by being able to service that product where it is already warehoused and placed and being processed, you're able to merchandise that used item within hours of it being processed with no additional touches, no additional freight cost. Um, and it's now being warehoused in a location that is probably more geographically favorable for your business. And just to take a step back, um, just to answer a little bit, um, more basically when a brand in their current warehouse management system, they might have a red shirt size, large, a hundred of them. And the brand's website can sell one of those 100 shirts and it gets deducted from the inventory and it's sold to the guest. The challenge with re-commerce, and it's always a unique experience for that specific item. And, you know, the the pink dress that comes in that has some stitching missing on the right sleeve, let's say, 
that needs to be identified as, you know, a, a different tier. It's not like new. It's not brand new. And it there is a flaw with it. So identifying it to the guest on the storefront when they're trying to buy something online is really important. So they know what to expect when they're buying something at a, you know, reduced cost. So, you know, what what Arrive is built is a solution that can break down each item into, you know, what the different tier is, what the problem is, what the skew is, leverage the existing catalog of the brand so you can see what the product looks like off of the initial um, brand assets. But there's a description of what is wrong with it, let's say, um, or what's damaged in it. So today, brands don't have that capability. And that's why it's such an unlock because, you know, Arrive Recommerce and also Trove, they've created this solution to sell in that model. So today Arrive can actually plug into an existing warehouse management system. Trove is on more on the original, you know, send it to us and we'll analyze it and we'll put it up on our website based off of that. But the, the key here is that solution that is imperative, that makes it more challenging for a brand to just run with their own e-commerce business is what Arrive has created. And it's capable of making it really simple for the users in like the brand's warehouse or a third-party warehouse. Got it. Yeah. So that's, that's the, um, you know, we're, we're seeing traction in that model. I mean, as we speak, there are some leading brands that are working with Arrive, um, that have launched programs like this, Yeti coolers being one of them. Um, I gotta tell you, I, I, okay, I'm watching, I'm watching football, I'm watching television, and all I'm thinking about is the YouTube because I'm seeing Yeti coolers on the advertising. I'm on a YouTube channel. I'm seeing Yeti coolers. I'm like, wow, Nate and Jess have really got me just thinking <laughs> about e-commerce everywhere I look. Right. Yeah. Well, my guess is uh, your phone is nearby and it's listening to you. Uh, Talk to us about Yeti, so it knows what <laughs> knows what to sell. Well, you. My Alexa, I just muted my Alexa, so it can't yeah. hear me either, right? So, yeah. So you've got like, um, you know, Yeti coolers. Obviously, uh, literally as of the time, as of this morning, you know, as we're recording this episode, uh, Burton Snowboards just released or just announced um, a branded resale experience powered by Arrive, and that operation is it's not taking place in the same facility. It's taking place in a facility that's 15 minutes away from the return center. So almost in the same facility, but again, like conceptually powered by this technology stack that allows for, you know, geographically you can run the program anywhere, including out of the same building where, where uh, goods are processed. And so this is a really exciting shift. And, and one of the things we, as we kind of look at the timeline of e-commerce, you know, it took us almost six years to make this transition. And from the consumer perspective, there's no behavior change required. This is really a technology unlock that took, you know, the better part of six years to to come to fruition. Um, but it's definitely a significant step in the right direction. The the programs using this model are even more profitable. Another way to think about that is that because the costs are lower, because you're eliminating that additional transportation cost, um, it also means that lower price point items make economic sense. Right. It's more feasible. Like Timex just actually released their yeah. um their their e-commerce business. And it's 
you know, they're selling watches on there for $15. Some of these watches that are like, you know, it's Mickey Mouse and it's not, it was never a high ticket item. And now, you know, the fact that the operational model on the back end is a lot more feasible, mm-hmm. it, you know, it doesn't cost a lot. Um, you know, we say, now the say- price point is is lowered and, and you can still be profitable, but with a lower dollar figure item. Yeah, because you had mentioned earlier in the series that it mostly was catered high-end uh, product and, and brands. Are we seeing, I mean, it feels like it, especially on this uh, this series of podcasts, that we're feeling momentum that the the yeah. me, the, well, sorry, wrong wrong phraseology, the, uh, the hey, I, I the FOMO, hey, if they're doing it, I want to do it. Let's yeah. figure out how to make this happen. Are we seeing that? Yeah, and it's almost a bit of a, you know, a feather in the cap. Like our business, we also do e-commerce. Our product is good enough to sustain another family household. Oh, interesting. Um, and that's pitch. really, yeah. And that's really like when I'm looking at brands and we're, um, you know, there's different articles out there around the risk of fast fashion coming into e-commerce because now it's, it's more accessible because you can have lower end items based off of the fact that, you know, it's it's not going to be as expensive to run these programs based off of, you know, Recommerce 2.0 yeah. powered by Arrive. And um, and the risk of that, of course, is having, you know, the, you know, I'm not going to name names here, but fast fashion getting into the business. But I think consumers are really shifting how they buy. And I know I see it in younger generations where they're walking around with Louis Vuitton purses and I'm like, how, how are they affording that? And, you know, there's, and they're wearing like really expensive shoes and, and things are just changing. So I think, you know, the fact that there is a higher demand for quality these days, um, there will always be the fast fashion folks that are, you know, trying to sell Amazon, this and that, and you know, buy off my link and all of that, um, that fast fashion is not going to go away, but it it will definitely separate, you know, the buyers. Do we see a, yeah. a, the next iteration then coming? Is there even more than that's uh, on the horizon for how this is going to transform? Yeah. So if you think about that uh, evolution from like re-commerce 1.0 to 2.0, you're, you're really eliminating, you're going from three movements of the product. So customer A back to brand, brand to re-commerce provider, re-commerce provider back to customer B. So that's three movements. In re-commerce 2.0, we eliminate one of those. So it's still customer back to brand and then brand out to customer B, which is significant improvement. Um, you know, really the the most efficient form of this market is a, a scenario where as, if I'm the consumer and I buy something from Yeti coolers, Yeti is a great example of this because it's large product and it's expensive to ship large product. So I buy a Yeti cooler and I have it for a couple of weeks. Turns out I really don't like the color. It's within my 30 day return policy. So I call Yeti and I say, Hey, I want to send this cooler back. And Yeti says, Hey, great. We're happy to return it for you. Can you tell us what condition it's in? Like, are the tags still on it? Did you use it a little bit? Does it have some scratches on it? You know, or is it, you know, basically a new condition? And I say, actually, you know, I never even took the tags off. I just don't really like the color. 
And yet he says, great, hold on to it. We'll send you a label in seven days. And in that seven day window, Yeti goes and markets and sells that cooler in like new condition to consumer B, the next person who wants to buy, the person who wants to buy it in you know a lightly used condition. And then once that sale takes place, Yeti sends me, customer A, a label, shipping that cooler directly to customer B. And so now you've eliminated another shipment or another uh, like logistics cost for this product by just shipping it directly from customer A to customer B. Now, this sounds a lot like, you know, eBay and, and other peer-to-peer marketplaces. Yeah. The difference is the brand is facilitating that transaction and is guaranteeing that transaction. And so because of that, there's an incentive on the part of customer B to actually buy that item where there's lots of fake Yetis on Facebook, eBay, Craigslist. You're not going to buy a fake Yeti through Yeti. And because Yeti is facilitating and guaranteeing that transaction, again, this is in a, you know, an imaginary scenario. They don't do this today. If customer B is unhappy or they get a fake, then Yeti says, hey, we'll make it right. You know, send it back to us and we'll give you your money back. So they're, they're guaranteeing that transaction. This is still in concept. Yes. And this is, you know, uh, there is a business building this solution for 3.0. And there's obviously a lot of cultural um, adjustments that would need to to really take place. And I think, you know, given the timeline of what it took to get from Recommerce 1.0 to 2.0, you know, it took us six years to take the step out of, you know, three transportation moves to two now. Um, you know, this is this is pretty far out there. We're probably talking like, you know, five, seven years um, and and I think that there's an argument to be made on will will every country adjust or different countries like maybe you know the UK might be more open to it than maybe Canada or you know whatever. So there's just a, a pretty big cultural shift there. There also you know when when a brand is looking at you know their vision map of how do I get like for example right now let's say a brand already has a e-commerce business and they've been up and running for a couple of years, they're in conversation around how do I improve this? How do I save money? So we're guiding them to, to e-commerce 2.0, which is, you know, supporting the improvement and making more money for the brand, but it's also eliminating some transportation costs. And then you're also talking about this other solution of let's, let's get yourself out of the warehousing business for, for this and and have it go from customer A to customer B and you're facilitating it and you have controls in place to make sure that the product is authentic. So it might be serial number validation and it might be, you know, the um, guest A has to send a bunch of photos to the brand to, you know, confirm the authenticity of it. Um, so there there is still the build of it, which is, you know, it's still underway, but there you know, there is a vision for this and there is a demand for it. Yeah. There's two big, you know, as we see it, there's like two big barriers to this that we have to overcome. It's not a technology barrier. The the technology evolution to get to this future state of e-commerce 3.0 is very much within our grasp. There's two consumer behaviors that we have to overcome. Number one is consumers are innately concerned that 
if I tell a brand that I used my products and I want still want to return it, that they're not going to give me my money back. And we see this in testing today. We have worked with brands who have simply just tried to ask. I mean, you see this in, if you've done the Amazon experience, I know done this myself where, you know, what's your reason for returning? Well, my reason for returning truly is that I didn't like it, but if I click that box, they may or may not let me send it back. At least that's my concern. So I'm tempted to say there's something wrong with it just to make sure I get my money back. So there's overcoming that trust deficit between consumer and brand in a scenario where you want your money back. And then consumer expectation number two is that when I call a brand and say, I want to return this thing, there's an expectation of immediacy. I want the return label in my inbox. I want my money back now. And then, you know, as soon as the UPS guy picks it up, you know, this is Amazon has driven us this way. As soon as the UPS guy picks it up and there's movement on that tracking number, I want my money back. So you have to overcome both of those and say, look, be honest, tell me the condition of the product. I'll give you your money back regardless. And that's a really high bar to overcome. And then, okay, thanks for sharing that with me. I'm going to ask you to hold on to the thing for seven days, up to seven days. And between now and seven days, we'll send you a label, but just sit tight. It's coming. You know, and yeah, the, I, I was going to say, and we're about out of time, but I wanted to think about the Nordstrom example that Nordstrom set up a policy early on in their, their store that look, just bring it back, bring it back and we'll give you your money back. Right. No questions asked. Yeah. I think even the, there was even stories of people bringing tires back and you can't even buy tires at Nordstrom. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and I, and, and I think the idea here is that once that there is a proven history of being able to generate that kind of trust between you and your and and your consumer so that that starts to happen it might see it might have to reach some point where some company is able to establish that kind of to trust to be able to do that yep. and i definitely think those brands have to already have a successful e-commerce business yep. with their guests knowing all about it. There's been marketing for several years and they trust the experience to be able to transition down the road into a solution like 3.0. Great point, Jess. We're going to go wrap up there. You've been listening to the innovation, the Circular Innovation Podcast. And I'm your co-host, Richard Blissman, joined by Jess and Nate. And we've been talking about this idea of looking ahead to the future of uh, where where this is going and how we see the e-commerce evolving. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate the feedback that we've received. And we hopefully that you'll uh, tune in for our last episode, which is uh, episode number 11 coming up next. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Circular Innovation Podcast. Join us again as we continue to explore and unravel the complexities of circular innovation.